When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Janistine Podcast. As you all know, my main job here at Fox is delivering the weather every morning on Fox and Friends. I've been here since January of 2004, and I've covered a lot of big storms. Flooding rainfall, record snowfall, tornado outbreaks, and some of the most historic hurricanes in the last two decades. And even though I get to have a lot of fun around here, when it comes to serious weather news, I take my job very seriously to make sure I'm delivering the best information with hopes of saving lives. My guest today has been forecasting storms, in particular hurricanes, for over four decades. He's the hurricane specialist with Fox Weather and has an incredible amount of knowledge and expertise when it comes to the tropics. And since we're getting into the peak of hurricane season in the next few weeks, and we just had a big anniversary of one of the few Category 5 hurricanes that made landfall in Florida 30 years ago, the man who helped forecast, cover, and even discover better ways to explain a hurricane forecast, Brian Norcross, graciously agreed to spend some time talking about his career in meteorology and the fun journey he began that brought him to where he is today. So welcome... Brian Norcross to the Janice Dean podcast. Brian, how's it going? Good. Good. What do you think? I mean, we're taping this now on Tuesday, the 30th of August. And this morning when I was doing my Fox and Friends weather hits, I started to see some activity in the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. What do you think? There's a little bit, but, you know, there really isn't what you would expect. First of all, here we are, like you said, 30th of August. We got through August with no-name storms, which is really freaky. Yeah. Really weird, and especially because it's a La Nina year. La Nina in the Pacific generally creates a weather pattern over the Atlantic that's conducive for more storms. Mm-hmm. So here we have this robust La Nina. So things are going on in the Atlantic to counteract that. And mostly it's there's a lot of dry air for some not obvious reason that it's lasting so long. So there's a lot of speculation on, on why, but it is there. And because it is there, it acts like a sponge. So as systems try to develop, then they the moisture gets pulled out of them by this uh, excessive dry air. Where is the dry air coming from? Well, it's coming from a variety of places. Some of it comes from the Sahara Desert. It's okay. the dust that moves out over the Atlantic, but that's not all it. Some of it comes from the just the north. The air is drier in the north. When cool air warms, it gets drier. Mm-hmm. And some of it comes because air descends in the atmosphere as, as air comes from the upper atmosphere and lower, it's drier. So the net net is we have this drier from a lot of sources. And that it seems to be the main factor that's keeping storms from uh, developing. But anyway, to to your point, there are two systems out there to pay a little attention to, Mm -hmm. not much attention to, because it does not look like they're certainly not going to threaten the United States. There is still some chance that one of them might be a threat to the uh, Caribbean islands, but it's a slight chance of even 
that. And for this time of year, it's amazingly it's quiet. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes you humble a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, the tropics <laughs> always makes makes you humble. There's no, um, no getting around that. <laughs> I think weather in general, as much as we like to say the technology is getting better mm-hmm. and we're better at those five-day forecasts, I mean, it, it's Mother Nature. It's, you know, it's a science that is not always definable. Yeah, and you can only be so good mm. is the point. And, and what's happened uh, over time here, the science has gotten better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always this area of noise. So, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. When I was in graduate school, so now uh, 40 years ago, 42 years ago, I did uh, for one of my thesis projects this um, – uh, analysis of my forecast because I was working on the local little ABC station in Tallahassee at the time. And so I would have to make a forecast every day. Mm-hmm. And I made it actually at FSU in the meteorology department. And then I would go to the TV station because there was no equipment at the TV station to be looking or analyzing or anything. Just a weather wire is all mm-hmm. there was there. And uh, anyway, so I did a uh, how accurate are my forecasts kind of analysis. Okay. Right. And I found that my next day forecast was about 90%, right? The yep. next, the following day was about 80%. And then after that, it was about 50 50, mm-hmm. right? So that, you know, that was 40 some years ago. And you know what? The next day forecast is about the same now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The longer range forecasts are a little better. But the thing is that. You know, everybody looks at their phone for the longer range. They want to see what next weekend's going to be like or yeah. what next week's going to be like. And so we have this very deterministic, specific numbers for next week. Well, we can't forecast specific numbers for next week, but yet we deliver it on phones every day. Yeah. So I think that, that uh, since that has happened, since everybody looks at the weather on their phone now and gets these very definite forecasts for a week from now, that that's actually hurt meteorology and the perception Hmm. of how good forecasts are, where it used to be that before mobile phones, I would use words to convey the forecast, like, you know, cooler next week would cover it as opposed to trying to say it's going to be 73 on Thursday. Right. Right. Seven, you know, because I don't really know the exact temperature, but I do know that it's going to be cooler, so I can be right yes. without being specific in the mm. long range, right? Well, we're always specific now. <laughs> it's you know, every TV station, everybody has seven day forecasts, and they're very specific. Yeah, right. So in in some ways, we hurt ourselves, and then when we get to hurricane forecasts, our hurricane forecasts, we're actually the, the science is better than it is on day to day forecast, but we're trying to be very specific about a little part of the atmosphere and where that's going to end mm. up versus some kind of land, some kind of town, some kind of island, whatever. And so we're, we're asking for a huge level of precision out of those forecasts, that, and we can only be so precise, right? So it's, uh, it's, it, the whole thing is very interesting, and, and what it really comes down to is how we convey the forecast, right? The the understanding and the perception of accuracy is really in how they're conveyed more uh, than in how in, in what the science is behind it. Mm-hmm. I always say the the forecast for hurricane season, you know, the number of storms, mm-hmm. how many category three or higher, it's more of an awareness thing. You know, we right. want to get people aware of the potential of something. Yeah, and there's just but the, yes, that's exactly right, um, and also. 
you know, the, the thing is the people like it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course. Right? And it's like they like the seven-day forecast. Mm -hmm. it, it, it has – they put more meaning on it in their life than they should based yeah. on the science, just like the uh, those hurricane season forecasts, right? Mm -hmm. People – you know, latch on to that. How busy is the season going to be? And somehow equate that to whether it's more likely to have a storm in New York. Well, it turns out there actually is some light correlation, but generally it's more for interest, like you say, and awareness yeah. and just reminding people that hurricane season is coming and maybe they're in the Home Depot and they see some kind of supplies and they ought to go ahead and get them while they're there now. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um that's I think that's really the role of that. Although the people that do it are serious scientists, yeah, right, and they they do a lot of analysis to try and understand the atmospheric ocean system. Mm -hmm. uh, to the the better they understand that, in theory, the better they can make these forecasts. Better they understand that, the better we understand the weather in, in general. So it's it's not that it's a fool's errand to try and make those forecasts. A good example of a very quiet year that all of a sudden got very busy is Hurricane Andrew. Mm, 1992, yes. Yeah. Well, yes, that was the first storm, first named storm of the year, and in a year that had really very little activity. Uh, and, you know, as that, that thing was a very different animal than we're generally used to. Okay. Because... Four days before, that whole week before, so it, it happened, it hit on a Sunday night, Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And that whole week before, I mean, we were watching it. It was a thing, you know, um, but there was no, oh, you know, we got to watch this tomorrow and see what's going to happen. Nothing like that. You know, we assumed it was just one of those systems as had come by many, many, many times, but always turned north and uh -huh. was never an issue because it had been 27 years since a disruptive storm in Miami oh, wow. in 1992, since 1965. There was one kind of close call in 79, but still, long time, lots of new people, you know, people unfamiliar with the hurricane drill and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we have all that going on. But then when it gets to Thursday and it's coming a little closer to Florida in general, not Miami so much, but just Florida in general, uh, the hurricane hunters go out there and they can't find a circulation. So what happens when we, you know, when you get the report, we can't find a circulation, right? Everybody kind of relaxes. Yeah. Well, everybody. I mean, the meteorologists do. Everybody kind of does. Was there a cone back then? Well, no. I introduced the sort of cone wow. graphic on that Wednesday before Andrew, five days before Andrew, yeah, okay. I, I introduced the – that was where it started. And You uh, came up with the cone. <clears throat> yeah. You came up with the cone of uncertainty that we've been talking about for all of these years. Brian Norcross, <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the, the early version was, you know, on the cone you have the lines yes. you know, for each time period. Yep. was just the lines yep. because we could not draw the ice cream cone around it. Oh. In, in uh, 1992. You couldn't draw it because of technology? Because of technology. Wow. The graphic systems would only allow you to draw a dashed oh, line. Oh, my goodness. So that was 1992. Okay. In 95, they came out with a new graphic system. So starting in 96. We you were, have the uh, trademark of the cone. <laughs> we were drawing the cone, yeah. Okay. So take us back. Thursday, you're starting to see it sort of coming closer to Florida. Yes, and but no circulation. Okay. So normal protocol would be that they would issue an advisory saying, 
this is the last advisory on Tropical Storm Andrew right. and, until or if it redevelops. Mm-hmm. That's their language, right? Yeah. But uh, Dr. Bob Sheets, who was running the National Hurricane Center at the time, and the forecasters thought, well, you know, this is probably going to come back. And and one of the rules is if you really think it's going to back, you don't take the name off back okay. then. Now, right. now they have much tighter protocols because with the Internet, everybody knows everything now. But back then, they just decided to keep it on there. Okay. Right? And sure enough, the next day, it was a tropical storm again. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's three days out and it's a tropical storm. Okay. Okay. And and still nobody thinks it's coming toward, oh, toward Miami. Goodness, right? So I've, nobody's paying much attention to it. But mm-hmm. I get a little concerned that afternoon because I look at the weather pattern and say, "Geez, high pressure that might push it south," and mm-hmm. so forth and so on. Um, but really, it wasn't till the next morning. So now it's two days out, oh, exactly God. two days out. <clears throat> it becomes a hurricane, a seventy-five mile an hour hurricane, uh-huh. exactly two days before landfall. Forty-eight hours before landfall, so uh, that day was the day. That Saturday was the day that most people first became aware of it or heard of it, yeah. even. Mm-hmm. Right, and and then by Saturday night, it was sort of aimed at the suburbs south of Miami, the southern part of Miami Dade County. Although, even Sunday morning, so now one day before landfall, it's going to make landfall that night. Okay, we still didn't know whether the worst of it would be in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton. We knew it would be the Southern Peninsula, yeah. or Keys. We didn't really know, you know, exactly because it had the forecast had moved from kind of towards Central Florida all the way to South Florida mm-hmm. just in the last two days. Yep. So th- there was no reason to think that it might not shift back or shift around or something like that, but it didn't. Once, once that Saturday night came, they aimed it at the southern part of, today's Miami-Dade County, and, uh, you know, it stayed there the whole time. Right. When did you start your marathon forecasting? Well, so I, st- I started on, on TV at noon on Saturday. So yeah. this thing happened Sunday, Monday morning. Was it actually. a, what was it, a one, two? <clears throat> no, what, at that time it was a one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it became a two during the day. Um, and, and all that we did for that first whole day was I stood in front of the green screen and they put a phone number up for questions, for viewer questions. And it just stood there and people called that phone number and asked, you know, what's going on? Could we have a storm? And, oh, my, but my grandmother is on Miami Beach or is in Boca. And how about our boat? And what do we do? Mm -hmm. And where do we park the car? And And anyway, that went on and on Saturday. And then we did regular newscasts. And then Saturday night, um, uh, the 11 o'clock news went on and on and on and on. And it was just after one o'clock in the morning. And I said, friends, I'm going home now. Yeah. And I'm going to get some sleep. And I suggest you do too, because tomorrow will be a very big day for our city. And we may not sleep tomorrow night. Mm. So I went home and, and got a little sleep and was back in the next morning. So then to answer your question, um, so I got there about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and went over with the news department, the, the new advisory at 8 o'clock because the hurricane warning was issued at 8 o'clock. The, mm-hmm. uh, back then, they were 24-hour uh, warning cycle. And the evacuation orders went out at 8 o'clock that <clears throat> Sunday morning. Did all that, you know, uh, just kind of finalized our plans for the day. And then I went and sat down at the anchor desk at 9 a.m. And, and uh, that went for until 8 a.m. the next Day. And so there mm. was rapid intensification when? Uh, through the day, 
Sunday. It went from a <clears throat> one all of a sudden to, to a five. Oh my gosh! Well, through it went from kind of a two to a five. I yeah, guess. yeah. Were you surprised by that? Uh, well, you know, I, back then, you know, we didn't have the. All we had were the satellite pictures, and you could see it was coming together. Okay. Uh, but but by Sunday, I was aware that this was going to be a full-scale hurricane drill. You okay. know, we were, we were more than a drill. This was going to be the execution of every hurricane plan. It, that mm-hmm. Whether it was a three or a four, it didn't make any difference, or right. a five. It, yep. it didn't make any difference. We're still in full-scale hurricane mode. There mm-hmm. was, you know, nothing that we would want to do for a hurricane that we wouldn't do for what was coming. Now, as we got into the overnight hours, well, first of all, in the late afternoon, it hit the Bahamas as this you know, perfectly developed hurricane, which now was a Category 5. Back then, it was analyzed as a 4, but you could just look at the satellite picture and say, okay, that's a you know pristine, full-scale hurricane. And, and the science has changed over time. So it's the analysis that's changed. It's not new data. It's not new anything. It's just how we analyze the existing data changed with new science in the late 90s. So, so you know, what we call called back then a 145-mile-an-hour hurricane because what they do is they take the, the airplanes flying around nominally around 10,000 feet, and then they have a system for estimating what the winds are at the surface of the ocean based on those winds at 10,000 feet. Okay. That math has changed based on new science that came along in the new in the late 90s so same data but but now we know that that the winds were 165 100 at when it hit the bahamas 175 miles per hour at that time so in in that middle of the night when it when it looked for all the world like this was going to be the worst case scenario that's when uh you know, I was you know, ratcheting up my mind. Okay, everybody is in place. I mean, the city was quiet. There was nobody running around Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Everybody was where they were going to ride out yeah. the storm. They thought they were prepared, you know, but nobody was prepared for, including me, for what happened. I mean, I I imagined what a super strong storm w- would do. Yeah. Um, you know, what I thought I imagined it. And I had seen Camille in 1969. Camille hit Biloxi, and uh, that happened in August or Labor Day, actually, Labor Day time, no, late August of 69. And then the following February, I drove through there, mm-hmm. going to Mardi Gras, actually, and it was still, you know, all destroyed in, in Biloxi. So I had some idea, but in South Florida, we have stronger homes and, you know— so nobody was nobody was uh, had a, even an image in their mind that that could happen on that extreme level. And what happened? What did you see? It was a twenty mile wide EF five tornado. So wow. it was a you know that's exactly what it was. The wind gusts were over two hundred miles an hour. That's what a, an EF five tornado uh-huh. is. In tornado, we measure gusts. In hurricanes, we measure sustained winds. So it was, you know, in the helicopter, the first time I got up in the helicopter, so it happened Monday morning. It was Thursday morning when I finally got in the helicopter to go see. And, you know, as far as you could see from the helicopter, there was destruction. Mm. Um, And you'd see people, you know, on the ground kind of waving up and, you know, just street after street of destroyed homes. Uh, uh, And by that time, we kind of, we, we knew what it was like in that part of Dade County, but 
we call it South Dade, uh, and the general term for Homestead and the and Florida City are the two towns down there. But you know, suburban Miami, yeah, you know, lots and lots of just suburban streets. Uh, but people, even people that were able to stay in their home, mm-hmm. uh, would get lost walking a block away because everything was so dissimilar. Mm-hmm. You know, there were no street signs. So uh, the trees were all down. So, you know, you get used to turning at the big tree. Yeah. You know, you get used to turning at the greenhouse with well, the greenhouse is a pile of rubble. Or just, um, you know, the stop signs were gone. Everything was, was uh, either knocked over or missing completely. What happened when you were on the air? Well, uh, during – well, a lot of things happened – Slowly, you know, I, I would kind of ramped up the, okay, folks, this is going to be very bad. Here's what it's going to sound like. Here's what it's going to feel like. But by about 5 o'clock in the morning, so it made landfall just about 5 a.m. in uh, near Homestead. and uh, But it was raging by that time. And then it was moving inland. And as it got inland a bit, and, you know, in South Florida, the Miami area is not a very wide community, right, because mm-hmm. it's jammed up against the Everglades. So as it got inland a little bit and it affected the suburbs that are called Kendall, uh, people started calling into the TV station as their houses were coming apart. Oh. So it was, you know, we're all here in uh, in the bedroom. Should we go to the other room? Oh. What should we do? And, you know, and... My advice was, was, you know, if you're in a safe room and the hurricane is outside that room. Yeah. So the hurricane is in the house but outside the room. Yeah. You know, you get everybody on that door and, and hold that door. Yeah. So the door would be bowing, you know, as people are oh. trying to, you know, keep, hold it against the wind. So you can imagine the, the uh, you know, just horrible terror of, the of that. Right, the sounds and the... And that you know they can feel the they can feel the house shaking and the roof they hear the roof ripping off and oh my goodness and we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this hi everybody it's Brian Kilmeade I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and of course what you think listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. What about you? I mean, you had family, obviously, right, in the area? Not in the area, no. Okay. No, everybody was out of town. Oh, my so, goodness. Okay, so, that was saving grace. Yeah, but. I had actually had friends at my house. Uh, my house, uh, I was, like, super prepared back then. Uh, I, it's good. I had a house on the highest ground in, in Miami, and um, I had hurricane shutters, and um, I had a four-wheel drive vehicle, so I had my this hurricane truck, you know, and sure enough, uh, after the storm, I had to to drive home. I had to drive up on curbs and over lawns and mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I never would have gotten there. I mean, that was midnight Monday night. So this happened at five a.m. Monday morning. So midnight Monday night was when I finally drove home. Incredible. Does it seem like yesterday, even though it was decades ago? You know, it's a it's a combination. In some ways, I, I can picture people and things. You know, like they were yesterday, because it was such a you can imagine an intense event and of meeting people that just went through holy hell, you know, to mm-hmm. survive. I mean, they felt like it was a war. It, yeah, you know, they really it was like, and it looked like it. You know, like, exactly. Um, on the other hand, you know, it was before the internet. Yeah, right. It was before 
I had a mobile phone, but it was one of those big brick things. That, that it was, you know, it wasn't a thing that you would use regularly. You yeah. left it under the seat in the car, and it just sat there and, and charged. It wasn't you wouldn't normally talk on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly before smartphones, so the world was very different. Yeah, you know, the the advanced technology was. I had a beeper and an answering machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, so it was just you know a whole different pace of of work and technology and so forth. How was it going on air after something like that? How long were you in the business, first of all? I mean, you must have been a young forca- young meteorologist, right? Well, I had well, I'd finished uh, graduate school in, in 1980, so I, I'd been doing weather most of the time for 12 years, but I was not a tropical guy. I mean, okay. I took a course from one of the renowned tropical meteorologists, a guy named Dr. Noel Lesur at at uh, Florida State. But it was, a, you know, it was a course in tropical meteorology, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. I was generally uh, a weather guy. I mean, I had done the weather uh, in San Francisco. I'd done, you know, I'd done the weather around the weather in Miami through the 80s when nobody paid much attention to tropical <laughs> weather. Right. Right. right? Uh, so it, it really was the thing that piqued me and got me interested and focused, really, on hurricanes in Miami, was that through the 80s, I did a program called Neighborhood Weather. And Neighborhood Weather, I, it was a thing I created, actually, for um, KNBC in Los Angeles, and I, I pitched them on it, where the idea was to go out and, and take one of the remote trucks and put weather maps on the side of it oh and gosh. and go out to, you know, go go up on Mulholland Drive or go out to the beach or go to the high desert or, or go someplace and do the weather and talk about the place, right? Yeah. And Like and we're the, doing today. Right. And it's called Neighborhood Weather, right? Yeah. That was the idea. Well, they didn't. They didn't buy it, but when I got to Miami, I gave the the pitch to the news director, the boss there, and and um, eventually he said, "You know that neighborhood weather thing that you talk? Well, you know what? You want to do that?" And so I did that for five years. Well, the idea was every day I had to come up with a story to tell somewhere in South Florida because the idea in Southern California, you have all these different climates. Yeah, you know it can be. Hot as anything in the Los Angeles basin, but it can be cool, you know, on the other side of the 405 freeway or you know, all these different kinds yeah. of things you can do. So you can do it based on the weather and the climate there. But in, in South Florida, you just – it's all one climate sort of. Uh-huh. So uh, I had to come up with stories to tell. And, I, and so I created this kind of variety program that would do every day at 530. And I would produce it and engineer it. And well, because I, I started in TV as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to talk about that because that's important. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so through that process, I was looking for stories to tell about specific locations. And one of the obvious ones that came to me was, well, the history of that location. Something happened there. Mm. So I'd go to the history museums and I would look for old photos of something that happened, you know, on a certain date. And then I'd put that in a file and research it a little bit, and then I have a little story to tell about. Look at this place 65 years ago today, and look, come with me with the camera and let me show you. See that part of that building? Look, that part of that building still exists. Wow. And this is what happened, and this is what's significant about it. So anyway, I became sort of a history maven of South Florida uh, doing that. But part of that was everywhere you looked, there was a story about a hurricane. Mm. Um, Miami is the only place that in the first seven decades of the 20th century, the eye of a hurricane came over downtown seven times. Wow. 
is a very, very hurricane-prone place up through the mid-60s, uh -huh. from the beginning of the century up through the mid-60s. And I thought, well, gee, if, um, you know, if that starts happening again, <laughs> this is going to be a problem because nobody is talking about hurricanes here. Wow. And uh, so that's how I started studying Miami hurricanes mm -hmm. and the hurricane problem. And, and the, when, the, when I was hired by NBC to be chief meteorologist at uh, WTVJ in 1990, I, I said, you know, let's be the hurricane station. Let's build a storm center. Let's study it. Let's do specials because there's you know, old film and whatnot of, of previous storms and lots of stories. Lots and lots of hurricanes make lots of stories. So we did that. And then and we did all this uh, sort of uh, back end preparation stuff. And uh, suddenly we had this hellacious hurricane. Yeah, it was, it was like it was a lead a up to crazy it. confluence of events. Yeah, and the fact that you, I don't know, I think history is really important when you study the weather, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that tells you a lot of stuff that the technology can't. Well, especially events that don't happen very often. Right. You know, I, I did a, a, a podcast actually, which is going to air uh, this week with um, a friend of mine who's a meteorologist in Boston at WBZ, Eric Fisher. He wrote a book yes. about the... Uh, the mighty storms of New England. Yep. And, uh, you know, how often do hurricanes happen in New England? So we were talking about it, which I have studied it in the past. We were talking about the, the hurricanes. Well, the, the big ones were 1635 and 1815 and 1938 and 1944 mm. or 1954, uh, uh, 44 and 54, actually, there were, were storms. But, but they just don't happen very often. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're going to really understand the weather locally, you want to know that so that you have perspective you know when a storm comes along it's not like in new york city people don't think of this as a hurricane prone place mm -hmm. even though sandy happened only 10 years ago right? right but they don't think of it as a hurricane prone mm -hmm. place but there have been a number of big ones of big ones i mean but but the biggest one we know of is 1821 wow. right so it's a long long time ago but but there have been significant ones in the new york city metropolitan area uh, a number of them over the years. And so people live a lifetime that are likely to encounter mm. one or two or three significant disruptive hurricanes. So, yep. you know, what do you do about that in terms of preparing your mind? And, yeah. and you know, it, it is just it is part of life that yep. and, and I, I totally agree that that knowing something about the the history of the region is a key part of of understanding the local weather. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Sandy, but talk about your career because you say you started out in TV and engineering. Uh, yeah, and the, so the I, path of that. Well, I actually started out in broadcasting okay. as as a disc jockey, which you know oh, I say, which I did too, which I say disc jockey to to young people, and they go, "What? What oh, is I know, that? and I did it in the eighties <laughs> and in the nineties. Right, right. Well, I did it in. I started in 1968. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, and I. And I always wanted to be a top 40 discharge. I listened <laughs> through the 60s. I listened to all the great radio stations, you know, WABC here in New York and WMCA. And in Philadelphia, there were two great stations, WFIL and WIBG. And and um, uh, Whoa out of Fort Wayne and KWAY out of Little Rock and, and WLS in Chicago. And, <laughs> and I, I would listen wherever I was, you know, to, to and learned about top 40 radio and the philosophy mm -hmm. of it and how it was programmed and and produced and so forth. So I anyway, I, I loved that, but I was also a science 
guy. Okay. You know? I mean, I was a math science kind of uh, student, uh, so forth. So anyway, I finally got a chance when I was in high school to work at the local radio station, um, and which was a uh, it was an AM station, of course, yeah. back then, um, and it was a daytime station. It was okay. a very small new radio station, and we played kind of what they called progressive rock music. Okay. It's sort of like a mix between top forty and what you'd call classic rock today, uh-huh. right? But there were still some top forty elements, some like certain Beach Boys songs mm-hmm. you, would, you would play, but you'd also play uh, Chambers Brothers and Iron Butterfly and Vanilla Fudge and and you know real. <laughs> Real classic rock stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so I did that, and then when I went to school in Tallahassee, uh, uh, I got a job at the local Top 40 station, okay. which is what I always uh, wanted to do, you know, with the jingles and the, and the Talking button, up to the post. To, yeah, and the echo, you know, and the, you know, uh, in Florida's capital city, it's <laughs> nine o'clock, you know. Uh, and you used to, used to spin records. I used to be really proud to mix, like, yeah, really good, uh, you know, from the tail end uh, of Aerosmith into... Well, except back then, you'd always put a jingle in there. Oh, you'd really? Always, you'd never mix one song never, into the other? Never, 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 oh, never mix one wow. song. wow. Not on Top 40 Radio. Okay. Yeah. I did another thing on on FM, on WFSU-FM, called The Underground Scene. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was, it was 11 o'clock at night. The, <laughs> it was The Underground Scene with Barry Allen. That's what I called him. You called yourself Barry Allen. My first name was Barry O'Brien. Okay. And then I changed it for FM to Barry Allen. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, you know, now Barry Allen, I mean, there's The Flash and everybody else. There's a lot of Barry Allens around. But anyway. Anyway, so... Um, did you do a weather forecast when you were spinning tunes as well? Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah the forecast for Tallahassee. I yeah. just read it. You right, know, I didn't really think anything about it. Yeah, uh, but but that second year, so first summer, I was working at home on that little AM station, the Progressive Rock station. Went to Tallahassee and then came back the next summer because they hired me again for the summer. Okay, to uh, do the weekends. Well, that. One of the big weekends there in August was the weekend Hurricane Camille was heading to the Gulf Coast. So on YouTube is me doing the hurricane advisory for Hurricane Camille issued by the New Orleans Weather Bureau. On that Saturday, it hit Sunday night, uh, but it hit Mississippi. And the reason I was doing it on a Florida radio station is because they – uh, at that time, we're forecasting it go to the Florida Panhandle. So okay. hurricane warnings were up for the Florida Panhandle. It ended up going uh, west, uh, you know, and hit Louisiana and Mississippi, uh, actually. So anyway, there is my, it's my first hurricane advisory. It's on YouTube. Uh, of, of we're going to check it. Hurricane out. Camille in um, 1969. And while I was at the university, uh, my best friend was working as a part-time engineer at the. An engineer was loosely used a, a videotape operator mm-hmm. really because back then you had to be an engineer to operate the equipment it was kind of more technical and at the uh, WFSU TV the local you know uh, PBS station there and uh, he said oh this other jobs available why don't you take that the other half of his job so anyway I did and that's how I got into that and then I graduated didn't know what to do so I drove to Atlanta and they needed an engineer at uh, station today is WXIA uh, back then, it was WQXI TV, the ABC station, and that led to being a technical director, which, as you know, is you know pushing the buttons, and yep. you know the director says, "Ready, one, take one," and the person who does the taking of the camera, pushing the buttons, is the technical director, and then that led to being a director, 
Uh, then I moved to being a director, and then through a weird set of circumstances in Denver, I moved to Denver to direct the news. And um, weird set of circumstances, I started producing the news yep. at what is today KUSA in Denver. And really, we started Nine News, which is a very successful news program still to this day and on a great station. And um, that led to being news director. The company moved me to Louisville to run the news department at WLKY, uh, the, which is back then was ABC, now is uh, CBS. Uh, and that's where my weather... Lady, a uh, lady named Angie Humphreys, who was a great broadcaster, uh, but she decided she wanted – she was a country music singer and she wanted to pursue that. And so she left doing the weather. I had to hire a meteorologist. I kept offering more and more and more money to find a meteorologist. I thought, this is crazy. I'm killing myself here running this news department. And meteorology on TV was the confluence of science and broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, before I turn 30, maybe I should try that and see if oh, I can do it. Oh, my goodness. So I went back to Florida State and studied uh, meteorology. And I was the first broadcast meteorology student in a program they put together just for me at, uh, at FSU. You're a pioneer. <laughs> you really are in so many different areas. And you've done, it seems like you've done all the things you wanted to do. Is there anything else in your mind that you think... You haven't done yet? Well, I'm always interested in, in what the next, um, you know, what the next thing is and the next way to reach people. And, you know, this situation we're in today with uh, this very difficult media system we have where there's a lot of fractured messaging yeah. goes on. People get a little bit of information here and a little bit there. And, and you know, the question is, are you better off getting a lot of opinions or are you better off not getting a lot of opinions? Mm. But anyway, you get you get little parts of it where back 30 years ago you know you turn when a hurricane was threatening you turn on the tv yeah. and you kind of got the fuller story from one source right mm-hmm. maybe you changed the channel but the the message was not significantly different now the message can be very different yeah and so how to clarify the message um, from the source so i you know i I, as, as you know, I write posts every day and try and make it clear that everybody can read. Yes. Right? Everybody can understand. And that's hard to do. Yeah. People don't realize that, you know, breaking down the science, which is very complex, to somebody who wants to know the forecast but also needs a little detail to understand how things happen. Well, and also to understand how certain it is. Sometimes it's quite certain. Right. Sometimes it's not, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what does somebody that studies it think I should be worried about. Well, mm. you know, generally I want I want somebody that knows what they're talking about on any subject to tell me if this is something I should worry about or not if mm-hmm. I don't have enough information to you know, to sort all the the facts out. So so when I when I write, I try and make never use a word that somebody's not going to understand. Mm-hmm. I I don't use words like troughs and ridges and and um invests and and these sort of arcane words that don't have immediate meaning to somebody that hasn't studied meteorology. To yeah. me, that that's the challenge. So we have on one end, we have, you know, there are people that are meteorologists talking to meteorologists, but they're doing it on social media right. where everybody can see it. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have the computer models that are available to everybody. So people end up in, um, my sense of it is they end up with, less understanding of what's happening today. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still interested in in how we can 
better that. Better that. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, so another one of my, you know, I don't know. Uh, I put it on my my positive list, okay, of things that happened is when Sandy was coming here and the National mm-hmm. Hurricane Center uh, announced – so it hit – Sandy hit Monday night. Yeah. Um, on Friday, they announced they were not going to put up hurricane warnings for the northeast coast, remember, because they thought it was going to morph into a more a nor'easter, right? Right. And hurricane warnings weren't appropriate in, in that situation. Now they've changed all that, but but back then they announced that, and I was at the Weather Channel. I was running the the weather department at the Weather Channel then, uh, and I said we're not going to put up post tropical cyclone Sandy <laughs> because post has the implication it's over, over. right, and it wasn't going to be over. So I said we're going to call it Superstorm. You came <laughs> up with the Superstorm. Oh my! So that was that was one of my that's in my positive call. So you did that at the Weather Channel and did the National Hurricane Center? No, no, they they went to post, but I I I, I told my my people uh, in the in weather presentation we got to go into manual as soon as they they go to post tropical. See, because the, the, the machine would plot it automatically, right? right? Yeah. As but we had a manual mode, mm-hmm. so we had to go into manual mode and type in. Um, Superstorm Sandy. Oh my goodness! Because and I, I because that. I thought that was a communications thing, right? I didn't yep. want anybody to You're think right. th- that this was going to diminish in some way. It wasn't mm-hmm. diminished in any way, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was still hellacious. Uh, yeah. Even though it technically meteorologically didn't fit into the category of uh, of hurricane. I got in trouble with that forecast mm-hmm. because I remember it. When it came out, and the forecast was excellent from the uh-huh. National Hurricane Center. It was the 11 a.m. advisory. It came out early, and I remember saying to my producer, Oh my goodness, this is going right into New York City. We need to start the show with this. And thank goodness, you know, he, we, I was trustworthy with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he told John Scott, who was the announcer that day, okay, we're going with the hurricane that could potentially go into the Northeast. That's what Janice is telling us. And so I think I d- did like a two and a half minute forecast, which is unheard of, you know, on, on a news channel, right. you know. But again, there was so much information coming in and the fact that it could... You know, it was a transitioning storm, so it was going from a hurricane to sort of like a nor'easter and that that could have greater impacts. And so I just remember the next, you know, I the next day or even 12 hours later, the Washington Post went up and said, you know, Janice Dean, fear-mongering over at Fox, and that's what they do. And, like, I just knew that it potentially could be something that could devastate the area. And had it not happened, obviously, it would have mm-hmm. been like, yeah, it would have stuck Janice Dean with her fear-mongering. <laughs> um, but I look back on it, and even if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have changed anything because I just felt that the moment there was urgency. Even though there was a few days to watch this, and I had said that, we need to watch the forecast, we'll fine-tune it. It just was impacting so many people. So... Your mind, when you were seeing something like that, you know, I think you were sort of of the mind of we don't want to scare anybody just mm-hmm. yet. Right. But, but you know, in actual fact, we're not forecasting the weather mm-hmm. in this communications business. Uh, and sometimes we're forecasting the risk. Right. Right. And so in uh, that lead up to Andrew, I was the first one to go on and say, okay – 
I'm not saying the storm is coming. I'm saying, though, there is a risk that this could happen, and you might have to start preparing over the weekend, so start just thinking thinking, thinking about that. Yeah. So it was just based on the risk. The odds were not high. But risk is the odds times the consequences. Okay. So the odds can be very low, but if yep. the consequences are super high, mm-hmm. then the risk is high, and then it's in how you present it, right? Right. So it's not so much about forecasting the weather. It's about if these elements come together, this could create a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not 100% certain that they're going to come together, but we're going to be watching for the possibility of them coming together. And this is the time frame. So in my mind, the most important aspect of, of those sort of pre-event kind yeah. of discussions is the when. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because that's what people need to know. If there's time, yeah, uh, you know, then then that's good. Yes, right. Uh, and like, let's not all get excited. Mm-hmm. But we're going to watch for this, and and if by Friday it is still trending that way, then we'll start having to take action or start really thinking about it a different way or mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's really about what's the the risk to the area. So in the case of Sandy, Sandy was this giant. Storm, right? Huge. Giant in circulation was, you know, it ended up being a thousand miles across. But even before that, it was just big and big storms in diameter move more water. So you don't have to have a super strong big storm to move a lot of water and create storm surge and and so forth. So that's well, that's obviously what became the, the big threat with Sandy mm-hmm. more so than the wind, although the winds were high in part of Long Island. But it wasn't really a windstorm. Yeah. Do you think we could have something like that again? Yeah. You know, if we all live forever, it's definitely going to happen again. But, you know, more likely, I mean, those two storms are identical. Yeah. Right? Uh, and But but the idea, this is, you know, here in New York, uh, the, the coastline is shaped like a catcher's mitt, you know, where you have the Long Island shoreline east-west and the New Jersey shoreline more or less Mm north-south. And and the confluence there is New York Harbor and, you know, all the rivers uh, that that feed off of that. So if you force water into that that triangle there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to go into New York Harbor. It's going to go up up the rivers. It's going to overflow into lower Manhattan. And also on the northern end of Manhattan, you, know, you have Long Island Sound, which you force water into Long Island Sound. There's no place for it to go. In in Sandy, you know, everybody kind of thought, okay, this was a worst case thing because Sandy hit at high tide in in Lower Manhattan, and and you know we had the subway flooding and the power out south of Thirty uh, Fourth Street, more or less, I guess. Uh, but in actual fact, if the tide cycle had been reversed and yeah. it had come in at high tide. I mean, a low tide in lower Manhattan. It would have come in at high tide in upper Manhattan and, you know, around LaGuardia Airport. And and if you force a lot of water in there at high tide, you take out power plants and uh, sewage treatment plants and the food distribution facility for New York City. So it would have been worse. Wow. Because more people would have been affected with their water supply and their sewage and their power and so forth, um, you know, in spite of it, it was horrendous for people that lived in lower Manhattan of not having any electricity. But in Midtown, the city functioned immediately. And so you could leave and go and get 
help. But if imagine if suddenly you know the food distribution system mm. doesn't work or the uh, sewage system doesn't work or yeah. you know oh, that's a whole different scale of problem uh, that that was possible with Sandy with just a six hour time window difference. So the point is that the New York City area is a very vulnerable area to hurricanes and and you know hasn't been constructed really for hurricanes because they just don't have them very often. Right. Right. Exactly. Tell us about Fox weather. Like tell us about your involvement mm-hmm. and how exciting that development is. Well, I mean it's it's fantastic to build a new national weather service from the beginning. I mean, I didn't start at the very beginning because it started less than a year ago. You now. were close. Yeah, yeah. So I was the, you know, I, I came on for hurricane season. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I've been around a long time and I really enjoy doing things that are new and, and getting new ideas and, and having kind of a blank slate that we're going to, uh, try and and try this and and new graphic systems and new studios and new presentation systems and and so forth. So we have that opportunity. Not to mention new distribution systems. So the idea that uh, you know on your phone you can watch the 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 channel. You know the the uh, Fox Weather Stream anytime for free. Mm-hmm. Is a is a whole new thing because, you know, in the past to get a continuous weather channel kind of presentation, you know, you had to watch it on cable and you had to pay money and you had mm-hmm. to do these things. So, so uh, you know, it's great to be part of a new generation and a whole new set of ideas and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. We're just getting started. I love it. What do you tell new students that want to get into the business? I tell them that uh, I, one of the things that we talked about, I said, learn something about the weather so you can have a conversation about it. This is not about reading the map. This is not about reading the data. If you don't have perspective, you don't understand the weather in your area in terms of what can happen, what has happened, it's it's very hard to go on and and sustain yourself as a broadcaster because you keep saying the same thing over and over. Mm. Right. Yep. You, you got to be able to tell a story to connect with people. Yeah. Right. And I think my our radio backgrounds help with that. You I know, think so too. Just yeah. being in radio and having a conversation or with something without a script, a lot of people think, "Oh, she's reading that script again." We don't have a script. <laughs> right. We're just kind of flying. We're looking at the maps. We're looking at the presentation, but we're delivering the forecast by you know telling the story, like you said. Yeah. As you look at the information before you ever go on, the story is just forming in your mind on how you're going to characterize it now. You know, the thing that's so different now than it was uh, for me, so different than it was in the past, is now I I sit down and write every day. Yes, it's right? important. And I've been doing this for years. Well, so <clears throat> how do you do that? You know, I mean, it's every journalist that's ever sat down, <clears throat> excuse me, and wrote an article. What do they do? It, it, the, the story just forms in their mind based on the information they have in front of them and, uh, and other information they know. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the story, right? So it gives you things to compare to and uh, other sorts of perspective to make a, a story good. So it's the same process when you're going to go broadcast. If all you're doing is looking at the the numbers of the day, uh, you know, you're, it's not going to be interesting. Right. I, you and can't I think tell a, the story. a lot of 
uh, meteorologists think that if they say the technical words that mm. all of a sudden, you know, oh, they're the smartest person in the room. But I, you know, people at home are like, what? what? That doesn't mean anything to me. Right. I, well, I totally agree. So I, I, I push this a lot about, um, you know, if you're going to use a technical word. In fact, what I tell young people, because young people are sometimes struggling for to be credible, right? Okay. They're looking for credibility. So I said, you can use some technical words, but define it first because they want to say the technical word and then maybe say what it means. Oh, the vorticity, uh, <laughs> that's really the spin. You know, so you could say, oh, the, the spin, the way the system is spinning, which we call in meteorology vorticity, is a much better way mm. to use the technical word. And so I tell young people that uh, – you know, to throw in a little bit of that because they need something to, to show that they have something. But be sure that it's defined before you say it so people understand exactly what you're talking about mm -hmm. and you don't raise a – what did he say? Yeah. Kind of uh, – Even a graphic. Pause. A graphic right. to show what you're talking about. Right. So a combination of things. Right. Yeah. But everything needs to be – clear to especially we're in the business of communicating with the public right? yeah so i say you know if, if what you're saying if your aunt mary would not <laughs> understand what you're saying without you having to stop and explain what you meant yeah then you're not being clear yeah you know, that's your goal your goal is to be able to talk to anybody about about the subject and uh, and be clear about it and that's that's how people will attach themselves to you when the information becomes important. We got to talk a little bit about the climate change mm -hmm. issue. Do you believe, I mean, it is happening, our climate is changing. Is it affecting the tropics, the hurricanes? It's affecting the tropics uh, to some degree. I mean, a couple of things that we know, and then there are things that we speculate about. Uh, we know that the sea levels is higher. I mean, I live in in uh, Miami. I, it's, you know, you look outside and you can see it. So it's there's no question about that. And we also know that it's rising even faster than forecast. So that's a significant thing. So if you're closer to having a flood on an average day, obviously when a hurricane comes along and pushes the water higher, you've got a bigger problem. We also know that there is more moisture in the atmosphere. We can measure that. We can see it because the the atmosphere in, is warmer. It's like a bigger sponge. It holds more moisture. So, so uh, we have heavier rain with these systems. Uh, on the other hand, in general, the changing climate affects the north, the Arctic, much more than it does the tropics. Okay. And uh, Yes, we've had some very strong hurricanes, but we've always had strong hurricanes. So there is some evidence that hurricanes might be a little bit uh, stronger, but that appears to be more in the noise than any kind of significant weather change, unlike in the north. Mm -hmm. In the north, as closer you get to the Arctic, the, the climate, the weather that is experienced uh, on a day-by-day -day basis or on a year-by-year -year basis is significantly different mm -hmm. than it was. It's just significantly warmer uh, in the in the north. The sea levels are different. Places that were always covered with ice now are not. I mean, there's a it's is a different place. But in the tropics, uh, the differences, except for the the sea level rise and the moisture, um, are subtle. 
mm-hmm. and and maybe in the noise of just natural variability. And then people living along the coast, obviously, and with social media, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it seems like, oh my gosh, you know, this has never happened before. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. That's exactly right. But on the other hand, you you know, this is a, that's not to say that that uh, this isn't a problem for the future. Yes, you know? so, of course. So, but but they do get conflated. There's no question about it. The the science uh, that is robust and convincing that that sea level will rise and the overall system, the when you warm the ocean significantly, even with a warmer atmosphere, that you'll get stronger storms on average in the future. Um, all that seems credible. Yep. But but. Those effects are not the dominant effects at this point. The, okay. the dominant effects are the sea level rise and the, and perhaps the water, but but the fact that the uh, you know that we have this natural variability in storms, and then there are other things laid on top of it. So uh, you know you've been doing this a long time, and how many times have you they talked about the cycles of hurricanes? Right. Right? Yes. Right? Where it started in the 70s, suddenly there were fewer all the way through the 80s and the mid-90s, and suddenly mm-hmm. there were more, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now we know that that's not all a natural cycle. That's, that's from the pollution from Europe covering the Atlantic, cooling the Atlantic, that was a big contributing factor wow. through the 70s and 80s. And then the Clean Air Act and the equivalents in, in Europe and so forth. Uh, eliminated that pollution and the skies are blue in New York again in the 1970s. If you weren't here in New York, uh, the skies were in the summertime generally gray from from pollution in the air. Yep. You know? uh, and so now there we have nice blue skies. When, when I come to New York, I go, oh, nice summer day. So anyway, it changed. Well, when you take the pollution that was over the Atlantic away, now the sun heats the water, makes the water warmer, and you get more storms. So, yes. so that that's you know, that's a change in understanding of how the overall system works. Well, now that we don't have that factor in, you know, does that mean that we're just generally going to have more storms for, you know, just on an average basis, more storms? Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. If we don't have factors that are cooling the artificially cooling the Atlantic, and the big ones being air pollution, and volcanoes. Yeah. So we haven't had big volcanoes. Right, which can change the atmosphere. In the northern hemisphere. Yep. So we haven't had that. So as long as we don't have both of those, mm-hmm. we expect the water will generally be warmer. We expect that the storms will generally be stronger. Crystal ball, we're getting into that peak season as we get mm-hmm. into September. You think we're going to have something, something? I assume that the hurricane season is going to start, but boy, it just doesn't <laughs> seem like it. So the... The, the one that, that the scientists throw around is 2013. So 2013 was forecast to be a busy hurricane season and ended up not being much okay. for unobvious reasons yes. while, it, while it was happening. You know? okay. And so uh, you look at the discussion on social media among meteorologists. There, there are, it's, it's 2013-ing. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's 2013-ing, and because, which, is, which means... It's doing something it's not supposed to do, and we don't know why. Is wow. why is what. Uh, so so far, it's that. But we haven't gotten to the peak of hurricane season. Yes. And actually, when you talk about landfalling storms, mm-hmm. the peak is actually later. So the okay. the the peak for just having a storm in the Atlantic anywhere, name storm, is September 10th. 
the peak for having a landfalling storm is about a week later than that. So we're uh, we've got a ways to go. Got time. You know, we've still and the most likely month to have a storm in Florida, in South Florida, is October. Okay. So you know, it's we're not there yet. Uh, and but. Why it is doing what it's doing is an open question. And will this persist through hurricane season uh, in spite of the macro factors that we look at being extremely favorable for development yeah. of storms? Um, you know, you, you still have to put the odds on, you know, it's probably going to kick in. Yeah. Uh, probably. A lot of meteorologists have uh, enjoyed the weekends. Yes. <laughs> well, it's been uh, fantastic. Hurricane. I mean, I had so much. I was so busy with the anniversary of Hurricane Andrew that uh, five years ago during the on the 25th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew. Right. Right. We had Harvey. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. so so I yeah. was, you know, it was crazy. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so we didn't have that. This year, I was grateful for that. Right, because, I know a lot of us because, are like, "Wow, I've had weekends with my family." We produced the Fox Weather produced this uh, hurricane special on on Andrew, which was uh, terrific, um, and uh, was really outstanding. the The production and the producing and the editing and everything was just great. Uh, but anyway, it was a lot of work, you know, leading up to it to get that done. And uh, how can people was, watch that? So. Um, it, it ran like six times last week for the anniversary. I haven't heard of a date, but you know, if you tune into Fox Weather or, or follow me on Twitter yep. at B Norcross, um, you know when when we have the next date or when I hear the next date, I'll put it mm-hmm. there. Are you working on anything else? I'm working on hurricane season. Yeah, yeah, it's just really hurricane season at this point. I got to ask you one question: Do you do you have an embarrassing moment that you've had on television or on radio that you that you think about I mean I I think about you know being on live TV there's always that moment I can't think of hurricane season where you know you always hope that you deliver the best forecast mm-hmm. that you can right was there ever a big bust that you had well it's not so much a bust because I learned a long time ago to, to not be definite about the future okay, right? I like that. Uh, but but I did have a uh, you know back in the day and I'm sure you remember this <laughs> you know when there were physical maps and you weren't in Crumkey, and there weren't so many computers involved at all. We actually had more fun doing TV. Yes. We, we would laugh on TV. Yes. And, and, you know, when, when was the last time that, that on a local newscast oh. anybody laughed? Yeah. Right? It doesn't happen anymore. Um, so I was in San Francisco. I was at KGO. And I don't know. Let's see if I can remember this. The, the, um, Somehow, the, you know, on the, back then, you had this huge physical map yep. that you write on. You right? write. Did right? you have, like, the actual sun? No, no. This is where we had this pen, this thing called Flowmaster <laughs> pen with, like, a giant magic marker kind of pen with it with ink, and you had to be very careful, or you'd flood the map with right. ink to draw. Anyway, you'd kind of draw stuff up there, and, and um, somehow in, in looking over the information coming in, the reports, I noticed these all these funny towns— names that had like tornadoes and and so i said it's a bad day to have your town begin with o today and, and it was some town in florida in the shoulder of florida by jacksonville that uh, had some bad weather and in the toe of alabama it was something <laughs> that had some bad weather and in missouri in that part that hangs down in the front what do you call that <laughs> And and the the anchor, the anchor guy goes, 
oh no, <laughs> and you and you, and you could hear you could hear all this in the studio, right? <laughs> and I said, I said what? And he's <laughs> they're over there, they're on the desk, you know, like holding their heads and. And laughing, and then I started laughing. Anyway, it was a, it was a moment. I love those moments, <laughs> yes, right? It's right. just a moment of levity. We're yeah. all human, right? Right. And I think it endears you more to the audience. Yes, too. yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had a thing when I when I first went uh, to CBS in Miami. Um, the the new graphic system, the one that let me actually draw the cone in 1996. Mm -hmm. The the new graphic system was very unreliable, and so. Actually, I had them create a um, a graphic that we put up first before the weather graphic that had like saws and whatnot and the sound effect of saws and hammers and drills. And it said uh, weather control under construction. <laughs> so, I, you know, when the weather system wouldn't work, I had a reason. So, That's awesome. So, yeah. So I did that. And then when it would lock up, I'd kind of walk, I'd go just a second, walk over and I'd go... And bang on the set like that, like because your construction, yeah. right? And then come back and and, and it works. See, some because because sometimes they would just hang up, mm -hmm. you know. And I'd try and time that, and then it would come back to life. Clicker so, issues too are always fun. Clicker issues, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, things have certainly uh, certainly happened. Yeah. I love the weather the weather folks that will post their bloopers on social media. You know, it makes us all feel better that we're yeah. all human. Well, I if when I did make a bad forecast on local television, I would come the next day and and talk about why. Good. Absolutely. I don't I don't mind, you know, I'd, I'd much rather have that discussion yeah. so that people understand weather forecasting better. Well, and that's what they do in school, too. That's part yeah. of, you know, becoming uh, American Meteorological Society. That was part of what you had to do is you had to do your forecast. And if you got it wrong, you had to go back and say why you got it wrong. Right. Where did right. the science? And very often the issue is that the weather happened, but it happened 100 miles there. Exactly. Usually that's the case. The percentage. Yeah. yeah. So it's usually over there. You yeah. know, you know, and so somehow the front the system the whatever took a little different track than mm -hmm. than you were thinking it would and and so it's not that that the weather didn't happen it just happened you know slightly different sometimes though it just doesn't happen and sometimes uh you know i have gone on tv and said it rained 10 inches this morning <laughs> in hollywood florida and i don't know why <laughs> i don't it's just not obvious why? I mean, I can imagine why, but I can't prove that what the boundary was, what the, mm -hmm. the you know, element in the atmosphere was that caused it. Well, it's like happen. the snowstorms, too. You'll have a foot of snow in parts of upstate New York, and you'll have nothing along the coast. And I think if you just tell your viewers what happened, that, you know, they'll trust you even more, even though you got it wrong. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it also, it, it makes you... Relatable. That's right. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking so much time with me today. Very, very interesting. Welcome. I loved it. Great to be here. Uh, and I'm so glad that you're part of Fox Weather as well. Well, thank you. Okay, thank well, you. let's and crank up that hurricane season. Make <laughs> yeah. sure everybody's prepared. Yeah, well, it, can, it can stay just like this. It's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we'll describe later why it happened. Yes, exactly. That's right. Thank you so much. All right, Jan. Okay.
Thank you, Brian, for joining me today on the Janice Dean podcast. And since it is hurricane season, I have to remind everyone to plan ahead if you live in an area that could be impacted by hurricanes. It only takes one headed your way to make it an active and potentially destructive year, despite how deceivingly quiet it's been. And if you haven't downloaded the Fox Weather app, I highly recommend it. It's the best weather app out there. I've tried them all, and I'm not just saying that. It's user-friendly, you can track live and future radar, and even plan important events all on your mobile device. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. So before we wrap up this week's podcast, you know how at the end of the show I encourage all of you to nominate someone for the Dean's List? Well, today I have to tell you about a coworker that has been here almost as long as I have here at Fox. His name is George Wright, and he works in Radio Master Control. When I come in to record interviews, George is the one that sets up our microphones and makes sure that the guests are taken care of and that everything is working properly so we sound our best. Last week, I found out that George was retiring after 51 years in the radio business. My reaction, like everyone else's, was shock and sadness because he truly is one of those people that brings sunshine with him everywhere he goes. If you're having a bad day and you see George in the hallway, things instantly get brighter. He's just that kind of guy. He's humble, he's kind, and he's not someone that wants to be in the spotlight. He's someone that always wants to make others shine brightly. And that's why he's so universally loved here. So I told my producers we would bring him into the podcast studio to check on things before we started recording. We sat him down in one of the chairs with the microphone in front of him as I pretended to introduce my next guest. And he quickly found out that he was the next guest. The look on his face was priceless. But since this is radio... You'll have to listen to how it unfolded when I announced you made the Dean's List. Oh, Oh, thank you. Oh, George, we love you so much. And I know that you feel that love. Absolutely. Absolutely. When did you start here? In 2005. Okay. Wow. That's, I mean, I started in 2004. I remember 2005 because it was a very busy hurricane season. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So you start, did you get your start in radio? Um, Yeah. Yeah. 1971. Wow. (laughs) And where was that? I was working in the city as a copy boy at uh, at 1010 Wins. 1010 Wins. (laughs) That's incredible. So do the math. That's how many years have you been doing this? 51. <laughs> and how did you know you were going to be in radio? You know, I, at, at home, everybody was always, the radio was always on and I always loved it. I said, who's in there? Who? who? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Like we all did. Yeah. It's magical, I find. Yep. I love that it's still happening because for many years it was like, oh, radio's dead. Right. And yeah. and it was like the beginning of TV and TV was where it's at. But radio has always been there. And I feel now it's even more important. It's still magic. It's just magic because there's somebody talking to you. Yeah. And it's so personal. Exactly. Um, now, have you done any interviews in your broadcast career? A couple, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you like to be behind the scenes? Well, you know, when I went to college... I wanted to be behind the scenes, but one of my best friends that I made in college says, you don't want to be behind the scenes. You want to be on the radio. Yeah. 
And I said, yeah, maybe, because I used to do fake radio shows in my basement. And I said, all right, I, I might want to do that. Right. So I did. You did. What did you do? I, I sent tapes out and uh, I got my first job without even an interview. Of course you did, because you're the nicest man on earth. It's like, whatever you want, George, you can do. It was in New Hampshire. Yeah. And he, he said, uh, he called me up at the 1010 Winds newsroom. And he says, do you want a job? And I said, sure. <laughs> I didn't drive because I, I was a New Yorker. Right, exactly. So all I did was, he says, take the bus up. We'll, we'll set you up. Okay. And, and what were you doing there? I, I was doing afternoons, playing music. Wow, what kind of music? It was, you know, it was it was just pop, song, pop songs. Yeah, but at the time, it would be now, right, classic rock, right? Yeah, maybe, but, you know, I was playing stuff like Afternoon Delight. Oh, and, yes, <laughs> of course, I love that song. So you were a D- radio DJ. Did yeah, show, yeah. Do your radio voice. Hi, everybody. <laughs> That's very good. I love it. Do people know that about you? I, I don't know. <laughs> so then when did you decide to sort of get behind the scenes? Well, when I came here again, mm-hmm. you know, because radio had changed a couple of different times. Yes. And I said, well, it's it's so tough just to to keep a job on the radio. Right. It, it was always you were almost t- 10 seconds away from being fired all the time. <laughs> it's true. But this is such a great place to work, right? Yeah. yeah. And do you have any r- memories of things that you do or the people that you met that kind of stick in your mind after all these years? Oh, my gosh. There's so many things. I did a I did a cooking show from a supermarket. I. <laughs> <laughs> you did? Yeah. How do you do that on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they wanted it because they had a demonstration kitchen. And they said, well, just cook. We had a chef. Yeah. And, and I just interviewed the chef while she was cooking. Fabulous. And, but just so many things like that. Yeah. I went up in the Fuji blimp. I, uh, wow. I, That's fantastic. Now, what are you going to do after today? Anything I want. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Well, we're really proud of you. And, you know, just because we were, well, now that you are a part of the Dean's List, I had some people write emails of favorite stories about you. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got Jonah Blocker, Fox News Rundown Associate Producer. And he says, a lot of people will talk about how kind and friendly George is, but it also must be recognized that he is one of the funniest people in the office. He was one of the first people I met at Fox, and we immediately clicked. Every day, he and I would joke around, he would zing me or I'd zing him, and our banter would provide me with endless joy and entertainment. I remember one day, George and I were wearing similar-looking shirts, so of course we decided to take a picture to commemorate the moment. Someone walked by, looked at us, and posted it and asked, George, what's going on? Is today your last day? And I said, well, George is 71, so we never know when it's going to be his last day. (laughs) And by the way, you look spectacular. Oh, thank you. You do. And some people were horrified, but George just laughed. So cheers to the best sport, the number two office prankster, and my friend on his actual last day. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
Kate Pierce, Fox News audio podcast coordinator for the Janice Dean podcast, who's in here right now. She says, this job is my first one out of college and in the industry, and I've met lots of faces and names. People have come and gone, but I think this one is making the biggest impact on me. George has always been the friendliest face on the radio floor. He always has the jokes. He clips the funniest audio and has the kindest heart. I recently confided in him about how I was having a hard time lately in my personal life. And from that day on, he has checked in with me every morning asking if I'm doing better and how he can help. Not only has he been one of the hardest working co-workers I know, he also acted as a mentor and a dear friend. And I've only known him for a year and a half. But boy, am I blessed for all that time. Oh. Wow. Wow. Well, George, my goodness, <laughs> you deserve all this. Okay, uh, Lisa LaSera, anchor on Fox News Radio. This memory of George predates his time here at Fox. Years ago, he and I worked together at WGCH in Greenwich, Connecticut, at a small AM station. During the Christmas season, he would host a show. <laughs> I can't remember if it was every day or once a week. What was it, George? It was every day. Okay. <laughs> it was called Let's Talk to Santa, where he would put on his Santa voice and use a voice synthesizer to pretend to be Rudolph and the friendly elf. Okay. What's the Santa voice? Oh, ho, ho. hello, Janice. How are you? Have you been good this year? <laughs> Well, we might have to bring you back for that. Oh, that would be wonderful. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and Lisa says, I used to answer the phones for his show, but as a young broadcaster, I loved watching him act out all the different parts. The phone would ring off the hook and the kids loved it. George, <laughs> that's fabulous. Listen, you're retired, but would you come back as Santa? Sure. Okay, that's done. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon, the host of Fox Across oh. America, he says, So me and George have a ritual that dates back to my start as a Fox News radio host. Every morning when I get out of the elevator on the 15th floor, we wave frantically and salute each other in a show of mutual appreciation. The ridiculous, the ridiculousness of it all gets me in a great mood for radio, and the physical activity helps me sober up from the previous <laughs> night. Okay, Jimmy, we know that's not true. Let the record show that George is far and away my favorite guy on the floor, and I'm not just saying that because he gave me $20. <laughs> I'm saying it because he gave me $50. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Matt Dahl, the supervisor of content integration for Fox News audio platforms. Here he is, and here's what Matt says. I first met George 12 years ago when I started my time as a freelancer for Fox News Radio. Once he heard my name, he simply called me Dollface. <laughs> he followed it up and wasn't sure if I liked that name, but he was going to call me that anyway. It was easy to tell right away, coming from George, it was more than okay. Despite me entering the radio business about 40 years after George did, we quickly bonded over this weird business. We'd talk about what people were posting on the message board, share air checks, and he always had plenty of time to share. I freelanced at Fox for about five years before I had to focus more on my full-time job. I was always disappointed I didn't get enough time with George. We kept in touch, and even if it wasn't nearly often enough, anytime we did talk, it was always like the first day walking into Radio Master Control. Whenever I'd come back to visit over the years, he'd always say to me, you're coming back. It's like he knew that would happen. Fast forward to the fall of 2020 when I was truly down at my now former employer. 
I knew it was time for a change. George was one of the people I reached out to and began looking elsewhere. He responded to my email instantly, simply saying I was one of the good ones and they wouldn't let me fall. I happily returned to Fox News Radio in February of 2021, and George is one of the select few as to why that was possible. I gave him a big hug the moment I walked back into master control, and I'll always be grateful he was able to pull me out of a pit and remind me why this business is so great. It's the people. And George really is one of a kind. I've had a great time working closely with him every day since I've been back and will do everything I can to carry on his legacy, which I'll say right now cannot be done, but I will try. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, one more. <laughs> Amazing. There oh. he is. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's tremendous. <laughs> From John Sylvester, the vice president of Fox News Audio. George, thank you for always being the music, the sound of our hearts for the many years we have been blessed to be part of your life and the radio journey. Thank you for being a friend, a warrior, and a kind human. Thank you for teaching us the right way to be, your lessons in the audio business and in life, because those memories will never be forgotten. Your friendship will always be cherished. Congratulations on 51 years in the radio business. Your voice will be with us forever. Ah. Uh. <laughs> that is so nice. So nice. Now, I mean, when I come here, I you know, I whenever I see your face, it's like the day is going to be okay. <laughs> and, you know, no offense to the other people, um, but it's when I see you, it's like George. It and the same here. When when I see you, I said, you know, she's just she's just Great. She is just great. Oh, you've helped me so much and more than you really know. I, I mean, I always talk about, you know, being kind to others and one moment, one gesture can really turn around someone's day. And you do that for so many people. I don't quite know what we're going to do without you, but I am so excited for your journey. And what's also important is realizing the time to say, you know, I want to wake up in the morning and have the rest of my day to do whatever yeah. I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of it. <laughs> mm. Your family must be so proud of you. Everybody's happy. <laughs> and you're going to be in touch because I think I'm going to host a show called uh, Kids Call Into Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be Santa. Is that a deal? Have you been good this year? <laughs> I've been very good this year, Santa. We'll see what we can do then. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, George Wright. And you made the Dean's List. Thank you, Janice. George Wright, you are pure sunshine. Thank you for the kindness, the laughs, the tears, and for making our lives better here at Fox. I love you, my friend. Congratulations, and I know we will always be in touch. Everyone needs a George Wright in their life. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.